أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحانك اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم وعنده مفاتح الغيب لا يعلمها إلا هو ويعلم ما في البر والبحر وما تسقط من ورقة إلا يعلمها ولا حبة في ظلمات الأرض ولا رطب ولا يابس إلا في كتاب مبين. So tonight we will begin the story inshallah of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. And as we know Sayyidina Musa, uh, the story of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam is one of the most discussed stories in the Quran. And it's all over the place, all of these references. And so there's not one, you know, one chapter that's dedicated to the story of Moses. Uh, and it's one of the more detailed. So we'll take it, you know, over maybe a couple of uh, sessions, two or three sessions, just so we can we can pause in everything. And um, there are many lessons, and there are many parts of the story of Moses salam. So it's not just Moses and Pharaoh, but there's also Moses and the Khidr, uh, which is in Surah Al-Kahf. Uh, and things like that. So there are many aspects to the story of Moses, many phases. And like the story of Yusuf salam, it's very detailed. And like the story of Yusuf salam, it also deals with the Israelites, uh, the descendants of, of uh, Jacob, uh, Yaqub salam. So <clears throat> Sayyidina Musa was uh, a descendant of Sayyidina Ishaq. So he was a, a blood descendant of the lineage of, of Abraham salam. And as we know, of course, he's a, a Hebrew or he's an Israelite. So he is from what we call, what the Qur'an terms, Bani Israel. And we said, I believe it was last time, we said that Bani Israel, the people of Israel, meaning the people of Jacob, because one of Jacob's name was Israel. So Bani Israel means uh, the people of Jacob, the descendants of, of Jacob, salam. <clears throat> and... Um, the major uh, part of, of Moses' story is Moses and Pharaoh, uh, of course. Uh, but we also have in our tradition Moses and the Khidr, which we'll talk about, about later. That's also a very, very important uh, lesson and a very important part of the story. But we will begin chronologically um, as I have been doing more or less. <clears throat> At the time of... Uh, Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob, and then shortly after that, Joseph, alayhim salam. The Israelites were, or the Jews, let's say, were very few in number at that time. So they were not like a known thing, like a known entity. But according to our sources, according to our ulama in the past, their understanding of the Hebrew sources that were at their time. So this is our ulama saying that what they learned from the Jews of their time, you know, several hundred years ago, is that there was these uh, signs from the time of Ibrahim salam that one of the descendants of Abraham will be born and will agitate and will cause the kingdom of Egypt to fall. And at the same time, on the Egyptian side, there was this notion that somebody's going to come from these people that's going to create a problem. So there were these like traded stories. 
at this time. And there's, you know, I don't know exactly where it, this story is or, 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 or where this uh, understanding was, but our ulama, and as I said in the very beginning, remember that we, we take generously from the sources of uh, the Jews and the Christians when it comes to these prophets, uh, because this adds the detail, like we fill in the blanks with the details. And as long as we take something that doesn't change our belief structure, then we accept it. If something... You know, we, we accept something that changes the belief structure, we tend to sort of not take it. So these type of stories, they don't add or subtract really uh, to the belief of Islam. So we, we accept them that this was something that was known. So as the, the Jews started to become more in number, and as they settled, you know, this swath of land that is uh, between, let us say, Jerusalem and uh, the Sinai, you know, this area of land. <clears throat> of course, there were no borders at that time the way that there are now. Uh, the Egyptians and the Pharaoh or the Pharaohs or whatever, the dynasty, they started to enslave these people. So the question is why? Why were they enslaving these people? Because there was this uh, myth on the Egyptian side that these people are going to be our downfall, which is what happened. I mean, you know, you would, you would think they would kick them out rather than enslave them, but they, they enslaved them. And because of this notion or because of this fear that these people will cause the kingdom of Egypt or whatever the kingdom or whatever it was at that time to fall, this, partic <coughs> this particular pharaoh, the pharaoh of the time of Musa salam, he had this policy in which every other year he will kill the, the, off, the, the male offspring of the Jews uh, that can be found. So they'll skip a year so that they don't annihilate the population. They wanted to keep them, but they wanted to keep them in check. And this is why Aaron, Harun salam, the brother of Moses who's older, he was born in the free year. So the year that Harun was born, there was no uh, you know, killing of the, of the infants. But in Moses' year, when Moses was born, and maybe there was a year between them, but it would be then an odd number between them, one or three or five. When Moses was born, it was his year that he was marked to be killed. Okay? And this whole event that happens later, this is what the Jews celebrate as Passover, right? that the angels... Allah caused the uh, angels to mark the doors and the houses of Bani Israel. So the people of Pharaoh passed over the houses and saved the children. And this is the event that we celebrate with Ashura. So on the day of Ashura, the 10th of Muharram, we fast out of, out of uh, recognition and commemorating this event. This event of the Passover of Allah uh, saving Bani Israel from, thank you, from Pharaoh. Everybody with me? So, the, uh, at, uh, when, later in the story, when, when Musa salam wants to leave with Bani Israel and, and flee Pharaoh, they marked the houses in a certain way. And this was one of his miracles that the people, the guards and the, 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 you know, the FBI of Pharaoh passed over the houses and did not find the infants, did not find the Israelites, so they were able to leave at night towards the Red Sea and cross. So when Sayyidina Muhammad came to Medina, because there were no Jews in Mecca at the Prophet's time, but there were Jews in Medina. So when the Prophet came to Medina and he saw 
The Prophet entered Medina in Rabi al-Awwal, this month, the month of his birthday. The following year in Muharram, on the 10th of Muharram, he saw the Jews fasting. So he asked them, why do you fast on this day? He said, this is the day that God saved Moses and Bani Israel from Fir'aun, so we fast out of thanksgiving. So the Prophet ﷺ ordered the Muslims to fast this, uh, uh, this day. And then the next year, Ramadan, the, the fard of Ramadan came, so the fasting of Ashura became sunnah. Okay, so the 10th of Muharram we fast to commemorate this event. To commemorate. Make sense? Okay. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, Moses, uh, his mother, obviously very distraught that, that you know, her son will be killed uh, or is, is you know, marked to be killed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides her to this ruse, right? What is this ruse? This, this unbelievable, uh, this story is really, when you think about it, pretty, pretty amazing. So she places Moses in a basket in the Nile. Imagine placing a newborn in a basket in the Nile, trusting that somehow he will come back, but not really knowing. So she gets rid of the baby, basically, right? She gets rid of the baby, and there's baby Moses in the Nile. And, and try not to think of Charleston Heston and the movie, The Ten Commandments. I mean, I know it's hard, at least for people in my generation. Maybe the younger people are like, who is that? But for our generation, sometimes it's a little bit difficult. So she sends the baby off in the Nile, and ethnically, the Jews at this time, they're very different than, than the Egyptians. They look different. So if Moses was, was to be found, it would be known maybe now or in a couple of months or in a year or two that he's not Egyptian, that he's not of the Egyptian style. Genetically, he's, he's different. You know, he's a Hebrew. He's an, he's an Israelite. And most likely, Moses salam, was dark, like, like almost black, you know, dark, not tan, but like dark, dark. Some of the hadith say that. Anyway, so I'm just drawing the distinction that of the threat that she not only gets rid of the child, but she's also exposing the child to danger because if he's found, you, the, he will kind of be known that this is, not a, this is a child that, that should be killed according to the Pharaoh uh, and his rules. So at the same time, this Pharaoh and his wife, Asya, who we know, her, her name is Asya, uh, is... Uh, barren and she does not she is not able to bear children so she finds this basket and this spot where this basket is found where where Asya finds Moses today is the one of the oldest synagogues in Cairo in the old part of Cairo uh, called Al-Fustat and I have been in this uh, synagogue before and I have seen this spot this is the spot where they say Moses was, was found in the basket. I mean, who knows if this is true or not, but I like to just point these things out. So, you know, if you guys want to do this uh, religious tourism that I'm advocating, when you go, you can find these places. So, uh, this is something that the Jewish community from, you know, who knows when up until now has preserved in, in Egypt that this is the spot where Moses was found. Anyway, so Asya finds Moses and she's elated because she doesn't have children and she wants a child. So she goes to, the, to her husband, to Pharaoh, and she says, look, this is a child for me and for you. And, you know, he's not like too happy because he knows that it's not Egyptian, but he's like, okay, yeah, he, he'll be good for you. Or, you know, he says something like, for you, okay, for me, you know, I really don't care. But he allows, he allows this to happen. He allows uh, the uh, baby Moses 
to be accepted into the house of Pharaoh. Now, in the verse, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ Allah says, and we have given wahi, we have given the word here is revelation to the mother of Moses. And because of this verse, some of the ulama, they say that women can also be from the anbiya like the mother of Moses. Some of the other ulama, they say, no, this is just like when Allah inspires the bees. Uh, in Surah An-Nahl, Allah uses the same word for the bees. Obviously, bees are not prophets. But, you know, because we are in this modern predicament, I, I think we can advocate this opinion and you guys can hold this opinion that women can be from the anbiya. Uh, if you'd like uh, And I tend towards that opinion myself <clears throat> Because Moses' mother uh, This is not just like a Instinct that she's given This is like a ruse You know like a huge plan that, that she's given So Moses ends up in the family of Pharaoh But because uh, Asya does not have children of her own She doesn't have any milk To, to feed uh, Moses and any wet nurse that is brought to Moses, Moses, baby Moses here rejects that feeding. So Asya and her entourage they, they, they start scouring the town and they start looking for a wet nurse for Moses because the baby is going to die, he's crying and he's screaming from you know hunger, so on and so forth. Who is observing this whole incident? Moses' older sister. So even though Moses' mom placed Mo- Moses in the basket, in the river, in the Nile, sort of, you know, Allah alam where, his sister was following this. And uh, I don't know who's been to Egypt and who hasn't, but the Nile, <coughs> we're not talking about the Nile in Cairo, we're talking about the Nile in the Delta, where the Nile could be as big as, you know, as big as this. You know, there are these small little branches as you get out to the Delta north of Cairo, it just branches out like this. So it would be very easy, not too far away from where the basket is moving for the sister to be able to observe what's happening. So when she observed, and you know, this is like maybe four or five days, you know, this is like a big elaborate thing. She starts to follow Asya's people in the town shopping for a wet nurse. So she intercepts them and she says, oh, I know who can, f- I have a, a family that can feed, uh, that can, you know, feed this child. And she brings her mother, Moses' mother, to the house of Asya to nurse. And not only is Moses' mother reunited with Moses, but she's paid for the service. See the, the plan? You know, the, the, and this is the plan, or this is the example of, of absolute trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what this lesson is for us. This little story right here of Moses' mother now, no one's asking us to do that, you know, something as, as grave as to throw your child in the river. But <clears throat> Allah does promise us certain things and does promise us uh, uh, if we do certain things, we get certain things in return. But that requires our trust in His promise. Or the Prophet saw something that he, you know, he promises something or something like that. And that requires faith. That act requires faith. If you do not see Allah's promise as guaranteed, if you do not see the Prophet's promise وسلم, as a guarantee, you will not have the power to take that leap of faith to do something. Like for example, when Allah says, if you, you know, spend you know, in charity, uh, it's you know, multiplied you know, tenfold and tenfold and, and, and all of that. That takes a certain amount of 
faith that you believe in that. So when you donate money, even if it's like $50, $25, whatever, $100, $5,000, whatever somebody's able to donate, you believe that in that promise. You're not, I hope you're not doing it just for the 501c, the tax write-off. I hope, I hope you we're doing it for other reasons. Um, maybe if you, with, you go beyond the tax deduction threshold, you will, you, that's when the real, I guess, faith will come in, that you're doing this really. We say, Fi sabilillah. Fi sabilillah has become a code word, will you do this for me for free? But that's not really what Fi sabilillah means. Fi sabilillah means you do this trusting in the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, trusting in the promise of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and the story of Moses is a huge story of, of this, of trust in Allah's promise. Because to be with these people that were with Moses, you had to have a lot of trust in what, what was happening. Because every few you know, steps in the story, I thought this was going to happen, I thought we were going to go here, I thought we were going to go to the Holy Land, I thought this was going to happen. So you start, they start to doubt. Uh, and the doubt is really what causes them to be lost for that time period. I mean, we'll get to that. We're, we're ahead, of, ahead of myself. Anyway, so Moses' mother for us is an example of <coughs> unwavering faith in Allah's promise. And that's the kind of faith that we want. Now we don't, again, just to repeat, we're not asked to do anything even close to this level of craziness to throw a child in a river. But those things that Allah has asked us, we have to have that unwavering faith in those actions because we want our faith to be built on certainty not based built on you know half half allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says don't be like the people that worship allah on the line ala harf allah says they're half in half out that's not going to work your islam life will not work you got to be all in you got to be idkhulu fi silmi kafa allah says oh you who believe enter in islam wholeheartedly you got to just take the plunge and and dive in and and really believe unwaveringly. And when you do, Allah will bring you what He has promised in spades. So not only did Moses, was she reunited with her son, not only was she paid for this service, so she's out of poverty because of Moses, Moses now grows up like a prince. For, for decades, Moses is now going to be in the house of Pharaoh. He's going to learn... Uh, Things that you would not learn if at this time if you were a Jew. You would only learn this if you were an Egyptian. He learns statecraft. He learns about Pharaoh. He learns about magic. He learns about warfare. He learns about fighting. All of these things. He grows up completely pampered and completely comfortable. Uh, as an Egyptian, with all the privileges of being an Egyptian, even though ethnically, as I said, he is a Hebrew. And the reason I keep coming back to this point is because as Moses grows up, he, one of Musa's features السلام, is he's very strong. Physically he's very strong, but he had a speech-like uh, uh, impediment, uh, like a lisp or like a stutter, that was not due to birth, but had to do with an accident with coal when he was younger, that he bit some coal or something like that. So he has a speech impediment because of that. But physically he's very strong. And ethnically, as I said, ethnically he's a Jew. And everyone knows he's a Jew. And he knows that he's a Jew, not an Egyptian. So when he's out and about, you know, when he's older, maybe he's in his mid-twenties now or his early thirties, he encounters this conflict between a weak Jewish person and an Egyptian, 
you know, maybe merchant or, you know, like business person, and they're fighting. So what does Moses do? Moses goes to the aid of the Hebrew, of the Jew. That's sort of what he identifies with. And he pushes away the Egyptian person. But because he's so strong, what ends up happening? He kills the Egyptian person by mistake. You know, he kind of, uh, you know... You know, think of like these like um, superheroes. He just like he's discovering his powers now, right? So he just pushes the guy away, and like the guy flies into the wall or something, and his head smashes. And now he's like, "Oh my God! Now I have this problem." So Moses is freaking out because he's not Egyptian, so he doesn't have that protection. So his the goodwill of Pharaoh and the court's only going to go so far. So he starts really stressing out about this situation, and uh, as he's in this status or this thing of anxiety he runs into another Egyptian and there's a little bit of a tussle and then the Egyptian says oh, are you going to kill me like you killed the person you know like you did last week so he realizes that the story is now being circulated that he's killed this Egyptian it's in, involuntary manslaughter I mean he didn't mean to kill he was just trying to help this weak person so he says okay now I'm going to leave and I'm going to flee so he leaves his life at court, <coughs> and he heads you know, east to try to run away from this. It's this incident of the accidental killing of this Egyptian that the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith of the Ma'raj, when he meets, uh, sorry, in, in the, in the um, hadith in Bukhari in which the Prophet ﷺ talks about Yom Al-Qiyamah and the intercession, everyone will go to Moses. All of humanity will go to Moses and say, Oh Moses, you are... Kalimullah, you are the one whom Allah has spoken to. Please intercede with Allah on our behalf. And Moses, I can't because I killed, I killed somebody. I feel ashamed of what I have done. Go, go to Jesus and ask Jesus. Now, of course, this is not a sin or a mistake from our perspective. But for the Anbiya, these type of things, they become ashamed that they even did something like this, even if it was involuntary. It was this incident that Moses refers to in that hadith. And when they go to Jesus, by the way, Christ, السلام, he mentions no sin. He just says, no, ask my brother in, in Nabuwa, Muhammad وسلم, and then the Prophet intercedes on behalf of all of humanity. So Christ there is no, mentions no sin, because Christ, السلام, as we will talk about, was very young when he was risen, and his Nabuwa only lasted, you know, it might have even been less than a year. I mean, Christ was very short and he, he was risen very young, of course we don't believe in the crucifixion uh, and he was not known to have committed any, anything wrong or anything uh, any snafu or any social problem السلام, and that is why we refer to him as al-Masih, as the, as the anointed one السلام. anyway, everybody still with me? okay <clears throat> so Moses leaves He's got all of his Egyptian swag on, but he has no food, uh, he has no horse, he has no entourage, he has nothing. He, he's all by himself, a few days, and he's just totally physically, he's just body's giving, you know, giving in, and he ends up in this area called Median. And, you know, he, uh, there's maybe like some like little town on like a public area, and he just finds a tree and he just crashes. And he says this really beautiful statement that Allah enshrines in the Quran. Allahumma inni lima and uh, what is it? Allahumma inni lima. What is it? Awesome. 
Yes. This very beautiful statement in which, Allah, when, in which Moses acknowledges his poverty in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, yesterday he was a prince, literally, and now he's got nothing. Who, who hears this statement? And he says this because the man's starving. I mean, he's like, has not eaten in like three days. He over, who overhears this? The, these two girls that are trying to water their animal at like the public well. But the men uh, at that time, as men tend to do, were bothering these women. So they put this ginormous like uh, rock on top of the well, on, on the mouth of the well, so that they couldn't draw water and they couldn't move it. But because Moses was strong physically, alayhi salam, like he's like he-man or something, he just went up and he moved it. Even though he hadn't eaten in like three days and he's like crashing, he still was able, he like picked up the thing and he moved it. And then he went back to the tree and you know, he said that statement like, man, I'm really wiped. So they heard what he said, but because he came to their assistance, they realized that he was a gentleman. He wasn't like these other bozos that were trying to bother them. So they go back to their father and they say, you know, we met this man uh, in town. He's very unique. You should hire him because he's honest. And honesty is a resource that is in short supply. Then and it, as it is even so now. Who is this man? Who is the father? There's a, a question. Yeah, Shu'aib alayhi salam. Also a prophet. Okay? So this is Moses' luck. I mean, it's Qadr, obviously. but you know, So now he's, he's fleed this situation. And now he ends up at the household of another, of a prophet. Moses still has not been commissioned yet with the Nabuwa. So the man, Sidna Shu'aib alayhi salam, a prophet, a man of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sees in Moses that Moses, like his daughter said, is not normal. He's not like a normal person. That this is somebody, that there is a light in him, the light of Nabuwa. <coughs> so... He hires Moses and he says, you know, come and work for me for seven or ten years. And eventually Moses marries one of his daughters, who was the one that brought Moses to her father in the first place. And these ten years, Moses uh, enters into a brand new chapter into his life. Now he's a shepherd. And remember, I think I mentioned this in the beginning that Sayyidina Muhammad said, all of the MBA at some point in their life were shepherds. So this is like the profession, you know, uh, it's like the job training, I guess you can say. You have to be a shepherd at some point to become a prophet. And I don't know anything about shepherding, but if somebody does, they can share with us maybe. But my understanding is that it's very boring and requires an extreme amount of patience. And... Yes, training operations and... It's, and it's really hard apparently too. It's very hard. So I don't know these yeah, things. Maybe you guys are shepherds or you've tried. <laughs> Wanted to live the sunnah in its full, yes. full, full force so you become shepherds. Yes, so... Uh, now we don't even know where the food comes from, but yes. What is uh, Sayyidina Shoaib's English name? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know in the Old Testament if there's a, in the Hebrew Bible if there's a name. I don't know for Moses' father-in-law, I'm not sure. <clears throat> so Moses, he's like, you know, uh, hiding essentially in this town of Median, married, uh, living with Sayyidina Shaib, shepherding, you know, doing all of these things, you know, just like living life. <clears throat> but as the years draw on, he becomes very... Um, 
homesick and he wants to see his family. So he tries to journey back, sort of hiding to go, you know, <coughs> meet some member, his mother, his brother, his sister, etc. And in this journey, as they're traveling at night, Moses notices this light kind of like really far away in the desert. So, uh, and if you've ever been to the Sinai at night, uh, it's spectacular. It's like somebody turned on the lights. Like the, you, there's so many stars, you could not even believe there are this many stars in the, in the night sky. But it's also very dark, like when you look horizontally. Um, and he notices something very far away, some kind of light. So he says to his family, you stay here. Let me go and see what that's, what's that about. Maybe there's food, maybe there's water, maybe there's people, you know, something like that. And this is the next like main kind of part of the story of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, in which he encounters Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at this tree. And he discourses with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why Moses is called Kalimullah, the one to, to whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken. Ibrahim is Khalilullah, the, the intimate friend of Allah. Moses is Kalimullah, the one whom Allah has spoken to. So Moses, alayhi salam, he goes and he sees like this, you know, almost like unearthly like light, you know, like somebody like, I don't know, like the light, the, the trees sort of just like kind of lit up. And then he hears this voice, you know, to take off your sandals, you are in this holy, or this hallow ground. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts discoursing directly with Moses alayhi salam. You know, I am Allah, there is no Allah but me, I call people to worship me. And this is Moses' commissioning. So this type of event must have happened in some form for all of the anbiya. There's something that happens in the life of a prophet in which they become uh, no, no prophet to prophet. There's some commissioning, there's some like official like initiation into this responsibility. The story of Moses is for us, and of course the story of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu in Hira, Ghar Hira. This is the, the two examples that we have in detail of what happens when a prophet is commissioned. What, what does it mean to receive revelation? Now of course the revelation can happen in different ways. It can happen in dreams, like in the way of Yusuf salam. It can happen in discourse, it can happen through an angel in which Gabriel uh, comes and gives a message. Um, you know, it can sort of be struck in the heart of the Prophet, for example. Um, it can come softly, it can come loudly, and all of those happen to Sayyidina Muhammad So when his wife asked him to describe revelation, he said all of those things. Sometimes, so she would say, for, he would say, I would be on my animal, like a, my camel or my donkey, and the revelation would come, and because it was so physically heavy, the animal would buckle, the, the camel would buckle on its knees and fall to the ground. And he says sometimes it comes like the loud ringing of a bell. Sometimes it comes at, when he's sleeping and he sort of dreams different forms. And this is one of the unique qualities of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu and he had all of these type of forms of revelation. In this discourse with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, this is Moses' form. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He gives them this message which is La ilaha illallah, essentially that's our way of understanding it. And then he says, uh, what is that you're holding in your right hand? And he says, this is my staff. Because I'm a shepherd, you know, and I have a walking stick and a staff. And he said, throw it. So Moses throws the staff and the staff becomes this giant serpent. 
So Moses is like freaking out, like, oh my God, what just happened? So Allah says, no, grab it. Uh, so he grabs it and it becomes a staff again. And then he says, you know, put your hand inside your cloak and then take it out again. And his hand is like, like a light bulb. It's like all white and bright. And so Allah says, these are these two signs I'm going to give you to go to Pharaoh with these signs. Now, of course, the signs that Moses brings to Pharaoh are how many total? Nine. Okay, nine, they're not, we'll get to those later. So these are the, the first two. You know, like the frogs and the hail and the Nile turning into blood, those signs, okay? So th- these are two, and then we have seven more that will come later in the story. So uh, Moses is now a prophet. He's a man of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so his family thought he was going to go get some water, and he comes back with something totally different. So... In the discourse with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when Allah tells you, you can't just be like a prophet, like your superhero and that's it. No, you have to like go save the world. So you have to go to Pharaoh, tell him what's up and bring back and free Bani Israel, all of them. So it's not enough just to believe. You got to put in the time. So Moses is like, uh, but you know, uh, I stutter. I'm not very good at speaking. So give me my brother, Aaron. Let Aaron be a co-prophet with me. <coughs> so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants this to Moses. So Aaron, Harun alayhi salam, he becomes a prophet with Moses alayhi salam. And the story from now until you know, pretty much the end, they are going to be them together. Why is Aaron important in the story of Judaism. Does anyone know? All of the uh, priestly class in Judaism are descendants from Aaron, not from Moses. So for example, if you if you went here to like a conservative or a Orthodox synagogue and you wanted to join the congregation, in the application, they would ask you, I can't remember the terms, like, are you a regular Jew or are you like a, I think it's Levite, or like, are you like an Aaronite Jew? Are you a descendant? Is your family a descendant? Does anyone know the name, by the way? I forgot those names, those distinctions. In the application, you know, what, what, what is your lineage? What is your Jewish lineage? Are you a regular, like, Jew, uh, Ashkenazi or a Sephardic Jew, or are you a descendant from Aaron? And they are known by like the last name Cohen and certain last Levite and Levi, certain last names, meaning that this family traces its lineage to Aaron. So Harun becomes important in the story of Judaism because it is from the descendants of Aaron that come the priestly class. And we're not going to necessarily talk about all of that, but if we were going to get into the you know the study of Judaism, it would be important that we know these things <coughs> because this is the role that the descendants of Sayyidina Harun play. Anyway, so Moses has these two miracles. He's got this staff that can become a serpent. Serpent, that's pretty cool. But then he can touch it again, and it's a staff. And then he has this. His hand becomes a light bulb. And why is this important in the story? Like, what, what does this mean? Why? Why do we have these things with Moses, but we didn't have these things with Joseph? Yes, exactly. So Pharaoh. And ancient Egyptian religion is very magic heavy. 
And the Egyptians, not the Egyptians now, the ancient Egyptians, they had, obviously as we can see from what they left us, they have a, a big understanding of uh, how minerals work and how stones work and how the constellations work. Uh, and there's some pretty wacky stuff. If you like, look at the pyramids and the secret of the pyramids and the Sphinx and these type of like little educational videos, uh, one of the latitude and the longitudes, I think like the big pyramid is directly, the center of the pyramid is directly below that star. It's really weird stuff. How do they know? We don't even, we can't even do this now. We can't even, like this floor is not flat completely. It's a little wavy. Uh, but if you go to the Sphinx, for example, there are pillars like this. Like th there's many pillars like this one. If you stand at one of the pillars and you look, you cannot see the other ones. It's an exact straight line. It's unbelievable. This is like, you know, six, seven thousand years old. So the Egyptians, they, they knew all this weird stuff that somehow was lost. <clears throat> so Moses now is speaking this language, but in spades. You know, he's like a superhero now because they have magic. And what magic is, or black magic, it's like fake. It's, not, it's like illusions. But what Moses has is real. It's something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like the Arabs, they had poetry. They could make fun of you in like a rhyming. But the Prophet had the Qur'an. Well, that's from Allah, not even from the Prophet It's something much greater than that. So usually the patterns of the stories of the Prophets is that the Prophets come with some kind of sign that's related to what people can understand. So, some, somehow that they can see what is common in their culture. They take that and they take it to another level. So this is why Moses has all these things that are going, you know, going around. <clears throat> so, Moses picks up Aaron. Uh, I'm assuming there's some kind of reunion with the family. And then Moses, now he goes to Fir'aun. The same guy who he grew up in his house. Okay? So Moses is like, kind of like a fugitive, you know, at this point. So this takes a lot of, you know, guts to do what he's doing because he knows that he's wanted he's definitely a known person uh, because everyone knows knows him he grew up with you know as a prince in, in pharaoh's house and then he has these these signs and he has his son harun uh, his brother harun and this is the first like engagement with moses and pharaoh so moses comes to pharaoh with all, you know, this unbelievable amount of audacity, and he says, okay, I, I'm here to give you this message, can you please give me all of the Israelites, because we're going to leave, okay? And Pharaoh's like, what are you talking about? Weren't you just with us? Didn't you just, didn't we, we raise you in our house? Didn't you kill somebody and we let you go? And, you know, Pharaoh's, you know, thinking maybe he fell down and, you know, hit his head or something like that, and, and uh, Moses keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I hear I got this important message. There's only one God, which is like at that time blasphemy for these people because the ancient Egyptians had Horus and Isis and Achtun and Nachtun and all these weird things. And, um, and, and Pharaoh is starting to get a little annoyed by, by this persistence. So they start sparring with each other over, the, over this uh, issue. And this is where the character of Pharaoh manifests. All the stuff before was like small stuff, killing the kids. That was nothing compared to what Pharaoh becomes now. So 
when Moses keeps saying, La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, Pharaoh's like, what are you talking about? There is no God except me. Ana rabbukumul ala. I am the Lord. I am the one that you worship. Pharaoh's talking about himself. And this is like the ultimate form of, this is like arrogance with a capital A, you know, uh, where Pharaoh is convinced that he is God, and he is the source of worship, and the source of life, and death, and sustenance, and all this for these people. So Moses is like, I can prove it. So this is where the, the sparring comes with these two signs, and Pharaoh brings these, his like, uh, chief magician, I guess, you know, minister of magic, or like in Harry Potter, minister of magic. Maybe there was actually a minister of magic. And, you know, they throw the staff and then the staff is, um, maybe has like some like mercury in it. And because of the way the sun interacts with the staff, the staff looks like it's kind of moving and everyone's like, ha, ta-da, you know, it's like a, it's like a serpent. And Moses is like, no, 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 I got, check this out. And Moses throws his staff and it's like this huge snake, you know, that like eats up the other staff. And, and then the, the, the minister of magic, he's like, you know, his jaw drops and then he makes sujood. Because he realizes that this is, what I, what I was doing was fake, this is real. And then Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh is seeing this, I mean, try to imagine seeing something like this, if this actually happened, like really happened in front of you. It's different than me telling you, it happens. So Pharaoh saw this. So Pharaoh accuses the minister of magic and he says, you know what, Moses, he's your teacher. He's the one that taught you these tricks. I'm going to put you to death, to, to his own minister. And then Moses pulls his hand out, it's like this light bulb. You know, all of these things are happening in front of the, not just Pharaoh, but all of the people in his court. But Pharaoh doesn't, you know, doesn't give up. He keeps going and he keeps going and he keeps going and he keeps pushing and he keeps pushing. And this is where the story starts to turn even more and Moses is going to come back with more signs, which we will talk about, inshallah, next week. Well, actually, next week I'm going to be in Rome, the week after that, inshallah. So I'm going to stop here in the story of Moses. Are they going to mention why uh, Jews are not the Rayyans and not the Jews? The, 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 um, the reason I don't know, the Maybe, I don't, I'm not sure. But Moses doesn't make it to the other side. Uh, Moses dies before they make it to uh, Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe Harun made it. I'm not sure. But there's a grave for Harun attributed to Sayyidina Harun in Jordan. So maybe he also didn't make it. I don't know. Well, we didn't get that far yet. We'll get there. But I don't know why the why they the descendants. But I just know that he's important in 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 Judaism as we understand as we know now because they are the descendants of Aaron are the the priests and the rabbis. Uh, that's now. I don't know if that's always been the case. But yeah, but, but Jews today they trace their their uh, religious lineage from the mother. Yes, <clears throat> that's true. Yes, his older brother. Yeah. Harun is, is, is Moses' older brother.
Yeah. Uh, just two questions. One's a little technical. Uh, why is Musa specifically other prophets like Adam and Islam? Didn't he talk to Allah? They all, all of the Anbiya obviously spoke with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but not like this. Not, uh, not without an intermediary. Right, so then when, why doesn't Adam and Islam come to? Adam's uh, tagline is, you know, Abu al-Bashar, the father of humanity. I mean, they all have these qualities. It's, it's not like Abraham is the friend of God, but all the other Anbiya are not the friends. No, but it's just, it's just like one characteristic, you know, manifests more than another characteristic. So this is not to mean that nobody uh, else spoke with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but, but this, the, you know, there's this uh, incident, and then there's the receiving of the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, on Mount Sinai, another, you know, talking thing. And then there's Moses saying, you know, Allah, uh, I want to see you, you know, your essence. And he says, well, you can't, you know, look at the mountain and then Allah manifests and then, you know, the mountain, everyone, you know, dies. And so there's there, those incidences, because they're repeated, we refer to Moses as the one whom to Allah spoke. But of course, Allah spoke to Sayyidina Muhammad and spoke to Sayyidina Ibrahim, of course. But it's just like the tagline. It's his brand. Moses' brand is that he spoke with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so that, that too, see, there you go. But Adam's brand, you know, is that he was the father of, you know, of, of humanity. So it's just, no, no one else can say that. that that's unique. No, uh, Moses' mother, not Asya. Yes, so yes, so Ibn Hazm and others, they say that Maryam, mother of Christ, the mother of Moses, these were from the Anbiya. Yes. But even if, she, even if they weren't, they are... <coughs> yes, yeah. وَهُزِي إِلَيْكِ بِجِدْعِ النَّخْلِ تُسَاقِتِ Yes, to you know, shake the palm tree and the dates will fall. And when she was in labor, I mean, this was the angel, Gabriel telling her this. So Gabriel, you know, is, is, that's a sign of Nubuwa. Yeah. So that's why some of the ulama, they say that there are women, MBA. No, there are many w- women awliya, of course, that's different. Anybody can be a, a saintly person. We're talking here about nubuwa, about prophethood, which ends with, for us, with Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu So don't get any ideas. It's, Yeah, but she was asking about the prayer, something specific about prayer. Yeah, something it was that was something else. Yes. Has the Trinity mentioned? Did we just see it? Is it mentioned in the Quran? Yes. Most people may be punished for their own belief? 
the yeah, but yeah, but this is this is after that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She mentioned Asiya What happened to her after she took Musa? I mean, because she's often you know how like they say the four best women are Khadija, Fatima, Maryam, and Asiya. Uh, I mean, we're going to get to the rest oh, of the okay. rest of the story, but uh, yes, uh, I mean, uh, in Surah At-Tahrim, Allah mentions by name, you know, and we have given you as an example to the believers, uh, the wife of Pharaoh. So she is. Allah mentions her in the Quran as an example for all believers, not just women, but all believers and and Mary. Yes, so she is from the you know greatest women of. Of, of humanity, the, the wife of Pharaoh, because she was in an impossible situation. It was she believed, but her husband, who you know has complete power, worldly power, and politics and wealth, you know, disbelieved in this very grotesque way. I mean, even even while he was you know chasing Moses into the sea. What what else does this man want to see? I mean, other than all those things, I mean. You would have gotten me at the, uh, you know, at the light bulb or something. But he, he keeps going and he build me a ladder. Let me see this God that Moses is talking about. He says this. Build me to his, his build me a ladder. I want to go see this God that Moses. It's very arrogant. So as she has, because she's in this impossible situation, she holds on to this faith in this most pure of way and she raises Moses and protects Moses. Allah gives her as an example. So not all examples of belief are, are like, you know, all peachy keen. I mean, that's, that, think about it. that must have been a very tough task for her to be a believing person in that environment. Two questions regarding this. Was it the same Pharaoh who followed Musa? Yes, because when Moses comes to him now and he tells him about, you know, give me Ben Israel, he says, but you, we raised you, we did, so it's the same. But the one who followed you, is it? It's the same one, it's the same one. Yeah, mo- yeah, I mean, there's a difference of opinion, but let's just say to make it easy, it's the same one. I can't remember. When he was young, he like burned his 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 tongue. Yes, there was something like that, and he yeah, and, and that's how he burned his tongue. Because he had a soft spot for his wife. Because when she said to him, oh look, a child for me and for you, he kind of caved in a little bit. Like halfway, he said, okay, for you, but not for me. Yeah. yeah. I just Googled the, the cold story. The um, cold story? Yeah. Well, if it's on Google, it's got to be true. Right? Mm. <laughs> it says Shabbat.org, so maybe our <laughs> have an interpretation. It says that once when Musa was a, a baby, he reached for the crown of the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh was very superstitious, and he thought that that Yeah, so <clears throat> it's from Google, so it's it's <laughs> sahih. It's sahih. <clears throat> it's sahih. <clears throat> Anybody else? Any other questions? Anyone else? Yeah. I want to go back to the Asia. Um, she did. 
Yeah. Well, we're getting there. We're not there yet. We just started the story. Yes, but yes. But there's no nobody says that Asya was a prophet. The, the 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 question is about the mother of Moses and Mary, the mother of Christ. Yeah. <coughs> Uh, yeah, so before Moses uh, goes to speak with Pharaoh, he says this beautiful uh, dua, uh, Allahumma yashrah li sadri, wa yassir li amri, wahlul uqdata min lisani, yafqahu qawli. You know, make my heart at ease, and make it expand, and remove the difficulty from my tongue, so that my speech will be understood. So this is the preferred... Uh, Mother dua for the child before they go for a job interview or, you know, or if you have to go defend a traffic tif- ticket in court. We've done all of these things, yes, and continue to. Or before you're giving like the khutbah or like a speech. Or when you're going to uh, ask for a woman's hand in marriage, you know. We have, we have to have like auntie and uncle Islam, you know, manual. Like, you know, what to say when you're doing this, what you say when you're doing that. But yes, so th- Moses... Because he has, you know, he has an impediment in his speech, right? So he's nervous to, to articulate in front of the Pharaoh and in this, in this way. So he gives, you know, he asks Allah for this uh, ability. In, in addition to having Harun, his brother, but he also asks Allah make his speech, um, you know, smooth. And that's what's interesting about, about that is that <clears throat> speech, you can have somebody who, who has no impediment, right? Has no problem. But you could not understand a word that they say. And there are some people that their speech is unassumingly plain, but yet what they say penetrates people's heart. So we, in Egypt, we had this sheikh who, uh, who died in the 90s. He was like a really uh, pious, saintly person, and he, and he lived very simply. And um, he wanted something done, and... Um, he, uh, my teacher is telling me this story. So he said, I want, he wrote like this little paper and he said, take this to Sheikh Al-Azhar and tell him that uh, his name was Muhammad wants this done. So my teacher is telling me, I looked at the paper and it was like, you know, something very simple. And he's like, I, I thought like this is, I'm embarrassed to do this. So he went to Sheikh Al-Azhar and he said, this is from Sheikh Muhammad. And Sheikh Al-Azhar looked at it and he said, Hadir. You know, he took off his turban, he said, of course, and, and he did it. So, you can't weigh things by the outside, you know, about what they look like. Uh, and what matters is what's in the heart. When the heart is connected with the tongue, whatever comes out will penetrate. Uh, but if it's not, or the person speaking is doubting inside, or the person might be lying or something, it might not penetrate. So when Moses says this dua, يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي Make my speech understood. Uh, we don't know necessarily that he stopped stuttering, or but we know that what he said shook the kingdom in its entirety, just by his speech. You know? And that's, that's what matters. When we, when to, to be effective when you talk, you have to have what you say to be connected with what you believe in. That's if you're convinced, if you're certain, you will pass on that certainty. If you have love, you will pass on that love. If you have hatred, you will pass on that hatred. So speech is just like another vehicle to, to communicate what's already on our inside. What they say, what's, what comes from the heart goes to the heart. You know, that kind of sentiment. So.
Yes. Well, the, the, the Moses uh, السلام, is a really big figure in Judaism. So there is much more in the Jewish sources, many more stories and anecdotes about Musa السلام, than what we have. So th- this story that we're saying, it's almost pretty much shared. There is no like, big uh, belief difference in the stories. I mean, maybe some details, you know, but th- that's not a big deal. But in the oral tradition and in the Talmudic tradition, there are many, many more stories about Moses because they, they are going to get lost and, and circle themselves for decades, right, in the desert. So those decades, those are full of stories. So if we find in those stories something that does not violate our understanding of what it means to be a prophet or our understanding of Tawheed, we can accept it. But if we read something that violates, you know, uh, like, you know, Astaghfirullah, I'm just making this up, but like, you know, Moses like, was a compulsive gambler or something, you know, we wouldn't accept that because we believe that the, all of the MBA are infallible. So we just wouldn't take that story. So that's how we would approach it. I mean, I don't know, but, but I have, I mean, when I studied uh, rabbinic Judaism and, and Talmudic studies, I, I remember there's many, many more stories than, than what we have, like the details. Maybe like a sect of, of Jews, but it wasn't... I think that was before. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's before. I think Isaiah was a post Moses prophet of Bani Israel. Not the Jews that I know, but I don't. But I mean, yeah. No, the Jews are 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 just fanatically monotheistic as we are. Yeah, we, we, well, we, we, Bani Israel, Israel starts with Jacob. No, Jacob, Yaqub himself, one of his names is Israel. Yes, the books of Moses, exactly. No, no, Suleiman comes later. No, later. Yes, because David, Dawood and Suleiman, they are the ones, Suleiman, David starts to build the temple and then Suleiman completes it. This is the whole 
problem. We're fighting over this incident. <laughs> right? The Temple of Solomon. Right? Yes, yes. After Bani Israel makes it to the Promised Land, this is when the kingdom, the Jewish kingdom begins. And this is why Allah says you will be, you will exit and you will exit and return twice. So this is the first entrance. After Musa salam, this is the first time that Bani Israel goes into this land. And then they are expelled a couple hundred years after that. And then they do not come back until the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948 and the capture of Jerusalem in 1967. What? Ishaq is the son of Ibrahim. Yes, yes. Several generations before. I mean, Jewish... Uh, Ibrahim has Ismail and Ishaq, the two main sons. From the descendants of Ismail come Sayyidina Muhammad. The son of Ishaq is Yaqub, the son of Yaqub is Yusuf, and then a couple of generations later you have Moses. Okay? Yeah, but, but they didn't have like ID cards that has their religion on it at that time. These are all things that we say now. I mean, this is. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so from our perspective, all of these people are our MBA. These are our, our prophets too. We believe in, in the message of all of the MBA. That's one of our articles of our faith. And we believe in the Sayyidina Muhammad Wasallam and all of the prophets that came before him. Those that we know about, like what we are talking about, and those that we don't know about. So anybody that came before the prophet... Sayyidina Muhammad From Allah We believe in them We honor them We respect them We love them We study them So on So they're Muslim with a capital M Or Islam with a capital I So From that point of view We look at This uh, Religious history As, as one One history one, one message and you know, one shared history. But specifically about Jerusalem and, and these things, yes, this was temple was built by David and Sulaiman, <clears throat> whom we believe are prophets, was destroyed subsequently. And after that, during the Isra and the Ma'raj, is when the Muslims built the mosque, the structure of Masjid al-Aqsa, uh, after the Isra and the Ma'raj. And it remained like that ever since the time of the Prophet as it is now. I mean, 
it was occupied by the people of Bani Israel for an amount of time, and then they were expelled by uh, whoever it was, the, the Byzantines and the Persians, and they went into exile and Babylonian exile, and the, uh, you know all of this <coughs> for you know thousands of years. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? So a lot, a lot happens in, a, in thousands of years. No, the only thing that's written in the Qur'an is that the earth belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are no deeds in the, in the Qur'an. But Allah does tell us a lot of funky stuff that's going to happen in different places in the world. So yes, that's, were you at the Jum'ah today? Yeah, so that's what I was trying to say is that, that it, this is in the Qur'an. It's very, these verses are very clear in Surah Al-Isra that the Jews will occupy this area or Jerusalem or this land twice throughout human history. This is what it says in the Qur'an. Yeah, but how did they get to Europe in the first place? Because they were there and then they got kicked out and they dispersed. I mean, so we have to look at, we have to look at history honestly. We have to understand where these things you know, <clears throat> came from. So uh, everything we're talking about takes place essentially in, you know, between the Sinai Peninsula and you know, Jerusalem up until now. Uh, so after this, the story of Moses, alayhi salam, when the Jews uh, enter into the promised land and David and Solomon build the temple, this is like the first real you know, like Jewish kingdom uh, or dawla or like state. And then that falls. You know, no state lasts forever. You know, and that falls and then they're dispersed. And they don't come back to this area until 1948. So throughout human history, they're dispersed you know, everywhere. In Persia and you know, Anatolia, Africa, uh, you know, in Medina, in Arabia, Yemen, you know, they're just dispersed all over the place. But they did not come as Jewish people. I mean, the people who were there, they, they I mean, when Moses <clears throat> okay. I'm not, I mean, yeah, I understand what you're trying to say, but we're not going to get very far in, in, in uh, addressing this dispute based on what we're, we're, we're talking about. Now, we could talk about it maybe. 
when we get a little bit further in history, in human history, we can, you know, we're talking about ancient Egypt and, you know, things like that. Yeah, we're very far away from, from, from that. Uh, is it true in the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition that uh, the Jewish and Christian religion states that once the Jews come back to, you know, Jerusalem, Palestine, whatever that area, that that's when Judgment Day is supposed to, or the Messiah is supposed to come? Is that true or um, I don't know about that specifically, but there is, a, there is definitely a belief in the Messiah. Right, but like, because there's this narrative that you see either online or like in speakers that the reason that so many Christian, evangelical Christian groups or Jewish groups are so pro-Israel is because part of their belief structure and like the Bible <clears throat> Torah. Yeah, the kingdom of God on earth and that yeah, stuff. Yeah, the kingdom of God. Uh, but but I, I don't know if this is necessarily uh, a shared belief equally. Uh, I think the concept is shared in the Judeo-Christian faith, but I don't know if it means the same thing for every group. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have met Israelis before who have told me very matter-of-factly that they need to destroy the, the Aqsa Mosque to establish the temple to establish this. I mean, very... And, and the same statement, other Jews that were in this gathering were very offended and, and arguing with him. Not, I didn't even say anything because I don't, I don't respond to these things. Because we believe in the second coming of Christ, we believe in the Mahdi. So when these people come, they'll sort it all out for us. We all believe that these people are coming back, right? So when they come, we'll just follow them and we'll figure it out. That's the perspective I take. And my point is that uh, rather than get into the, you know, will Masjid al-Aqsa be destroyed? I think we, we would all agree we hope not. Is it possible in Allah's qadr for this to happen, of course, Allah can make whatever happens, happens. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that our Islam is, is correct and we need to be able to pass this on to the generation after us. Because somebody along the, down the line from our generation will be the people that are alive when, the, when Christ and the Mahdi come back. So we don't want those people to be bozos. We want those people to be there and, and okay, we're here, what should we do? So these things, I mean, this, you can't take eschatology and make it into like political policy. That's just retarded. It's even more retarded than making religion into politics. So I mean, I can't build like a political platform based on like end of time, you know, scenario. I think it's very dangerous. I mean, a lot of prominent speakers based on sure. that, so I think it's kind of important to understand. It's important to understand, but I don't think that all Christian groups and all Jewish groups share the no. same meaning of what the because like the... The, the minority of Jews now that are against even the state of Israel itself, which are, you know, the, the majority of the Jews, they think those people are crazy. They say the exact opposite, that we can't come back yeah. until the Messiah comes and like takes us back. So you're going back, but one group says we have to do it, and then I guess the kingdom comes, and then this group says no, the Messiah comes. So I, to be to the answer is I don't know the the exact belief, but I do have a sense that it's it it varies from group to group, from from you know denomination or sect to sect. Of. <clears throat> well, I think we're concerned because because this is the first of our qibla and this is the the one of the the holy cities for us and sanctuaries 
And because of the Isra and the Ma'raj and all of these things, we believe in you know, the importance of Jerusalem. But the... It's probably the way it was taken to, right? Well, yes, there's, you know, there's great... Yeah, but I mean, we don't, we, I mean, we can't just, you know, not do anything. I mean, we get upset, but I think the point is, is that there is injustice. There is huge disparity, um, you know, between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And we, we, we care about that really, honestly, for both sides, because if the Palestinian side is not on some kind of equal footing, this is going to be a, a further problem for the Israeli side. So it's just like a ticking time bomb, just like any other conflict area. Um, so we care about it because there's a lot of human elements to the situation. But it makes it particularly sensitive to Muslims because of Jerusalem and its place that Jerusalem has. But the real issue is not, not that we should just sit back what's going to happen, but the real issue is us. I mean, we are uh, very far from where we are supposed to be as a, like an ummah. Like we're, we're pretty, we're like in the gutter, really. So... We need to get out of the gutter, not for this reason, but for all other type of reasons. Um, you know, let, let's, let's fast on the same day. If we can get to that, that's like, that should be the first goal. We should be able to fast on the same day. Because there are many fiqhi opinions of how we can begin. Uh, you know, so um, there are still people till today, believe it or not, that speak in the name of Islam, that believe the earth is flat. There are still people today that speak in the name of Islam that condone slavery. There are still people today that speak in the name of Islam that do not understand the changing trend of, of money. And they believe that the banking system is evil and you know, things like that. So we have, it's much bigger than just Jerusalem being the capital or not. It's, it's, it's the, all of these issues. And, you know, at the same time, we have people running around, uh, making our kids scared of Islam, uh, saying the mosque is haram, this is haram, this is bid'ah, this is bid'ah, but we want Salah al-Din to come and fix everything. But that, that's not how history works. You know, that you, we have to produce these type of, of people. Um, and uh, that's what the khutbah was about Is that it's about the infrastructure It's about this is what matters That we get on the same page with our Islam And then we move forward To make something Some kind of positive contribution Not just for our community But for the world I mean we're really not doing anything So when we can fast on the same day And all agree that there's no slavery And all agree that there's no gold in the, in the money and all agree that we should celebrate and love the Prophet Sallallahu you know, you know, without question, then we can begin to talk about you know, the bigger things. But, but we, we keep tripping over these, these other problems. And if we keep tripping over the basics, then that's very bad. It's time? Okay. Wait, this, you had something? He was the man. He was the man. He was the man. We'll talk about him because we still didn't get to his part of the story. Wallahu ta'ala alam.